Hello, boys and girls. This is Dr. John, and I am so happy to welcome you back to the Children's Story Hour. And I have Auntie Sue with me. Hello, Auntie Sue. Hello, Dr. John. I'm very happy to be here and looking forward to the stories today. You know, one of our stories is going to be read by a girl called Sophie Lee Johnson. Do you know anything about her? Yes, Sophie is a 15-year-old student from an Adventist high school in Australia. Well, she's going to read to us a story called Ellen, the Girl with Two Angels, and it was written by somebody called Mabel Miller, who was a great-granddaughter of Ellen White. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, Auntie Sue, it's wonderful to see some letters coming in from boys and girls who are listening to these stories. And I'm wondering if you could just remind us about the contact details so they can write to us. Yes, you can write to us at Children's Story Hour, 3ABN Australia Radio, PO Box 752, Morissette 2264, New South Wales, Australia, or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also check us out at radio page on 3ABN Australia website. The web address is www.3abnaustralia.org.au. Auntie Sue, I think it would be good if we had a little prayer before we started. Yes, loving Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you today and the stories that we hear, please help us take them to our heart. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, thank you, Auntie Sue. And now it's time to listen to some more exciting stories. Boys and girls, gather round as we hear some more stories from the Children's Story Hour. Hi girls and boys, this is Uncle Alan with a story for you called Kylie's Gift. Dana said Kylie lovingly as she laid her doll in its red pram and carefully tucked the covers around it, I'm sure there's not another doll in all the world as lovely as you are. Dana did not reply but laid herself back on the white pillowcase and closed her eyes as if perfectly happy. I think we'll go for a walk now, Dana, said Kylie. Pulling the garden gate behind her, she went down the street pushing her doll's pram. Kylie had not asked her parents' permission. Children should never go out without a grown-up. Dana, said Kylie sternly, I do hope you behave yourself when we're in town, and if you cry, don't expect to get any sweets. Needless to say, Dana didn't cry and indeed behaved better than most babies do. Kylie enjoyed the walk, feeling very proud of herself, as little girls do when they go out with a doll's pram. When she reached the end of the street, Kylie met a poor little girl carrying the dirtiest, raggiest doll you ever saw. Dana, whispered Kylie, I'm so glad you're not as dirty as that. But the little girl seemed to love her dirty, ragged doll, 
just as much as Kylie loved Dana. She was hugging it very tightly and telling it that it was just the loveliest doll in all the world. At this moment, just as the little girl started to cross the road, a car swung around the corner. The little girl jumped back and saved herself. But in her fright, she let go of her precious doll. It rolled away underneath the car and was crushed to pieces. The little girl burst into tears as she saw her precious doll. It was the only one she had ever had. Kylie's loving little heart was touched immediately. What could she do? Nobody was about, and it seemed that it was up to her to comfort the little girl. Running to her side, she put her hand on her shoulder and told her not to cry. But she cried anyway. Kylie looked at her pram and thought of her beloved Dana. Could she? Could she? What's your name? Kylie asked the little girl. Lucy, the little girl replied between sobs. Lucy said, Kylie, don't cry anymore. You can have Dana. She's the beautifulest doll in all the world and she'll make you happy again. Giving Dana one last hug and kiss, she handed her over to Lucy, who could scarcely believe her eyes. For me, she said. For me? Yes, said Kylie, for keeps. And Kylie turned away and ran back home as fast as she could push her pram, in case she changed her mind. Then she sat down on the front doorstep and thought of what had happened. She looked tearfully into the empty pram. But somebody had seen what had happened. High up in one of the nearby houses, a lady had been looking out of the window. She'd heard the screech of the car wheels as it rounded the corner, seen the doll smashed, and then, to her amazement, she had watched Kylie's kind act. A few days later, that same lady called at Kylie's house with a long brown paper parcel in her arms. She said it was a new baby for a kind girl who had given her own away. Kylie was so happy she didn't know what to do. She just kept saying, thank you, thank you. Kylie called her new doll, Dana, to remind her of the one she had loved so much and given away. But when she thought about it, she realised that the best moment of all was not receiving a new doll from a kind lady. It was the moment when she had handed over the other one to the little girl near the street corner. Boys and girls, it's Auntie Cecily back again and I'm so glad you could join me as we continue the reading of our book, Libby and His Bush Friends. Chapter 5. Libby Meets Sunshine Libby wasn't the only bush animal that shared our home on Harvey's range. We also cared for Sunshine, an agile wallaby. Sunshine was given to us by friends when she was just a joey, 
which is the name given to baby animals such as possums, wallabies and kangaroos. Like Libby, Sunshine was an orphan. And like Libby's shoebox and Teddy, Sunshine had her own unique bed that she had been reared in. It was a pillowcase. Joeys are normally carried around in their mother's pouch. A female wallaby's pouch is like a comfortable, expandable pocket hanging from her tummy. The pouch is just the right size for the joey. As the joey grows, the pouch stretches. A pillowcase hung by a heavy spring on a hook or a doorknob can be like a pouch, especially if a fleecy rug or soft cloth is placed inside for extra comfort and warmth. Sunshine's first bed at Harvey's range was a pillowcase lined with a rug. In fact, Libby was now sleeping on Sunshine's old fluffy rug because Sunshine was growing up and didn't need it anymore. Sunshine was now old enough to sleep outside. She was always up at the crack of dawn, grazing on the front lawn or nibbling at her favourite patch of Townsville Lucerne near the horse stables. As soon as Sunshine saw any movement inside the house, she was at the front door, peering in through the glass, waiting for us to notice her and let her in. She never wanted to miss breakfast with us in case we had something she liked to eat. And, of course, we always did. After breakfast, she would hop outside again and wander off to find some long grass under a shady tree where she could rest quietly during the heat of the day. Sunshine visited us most evenings and was never in a hurry to leave. Like Libby, she had wandered through our house and had become very familiar with all the cosy spots. Her favourite was the thick furry rug in Barry's study. One evening we were about to go to bed, believing that Sunshine had gone outside for the night. I happened to walk past the study. To my surprise, there was Sunshine, as warm as toast and fast asleep on the rug. I was very reluctant to wake her up when she was so content, but as it is almost impossible to house-train native bush animals, I had to put her outside for the night. Usually, when Sunshine visited in the evening, I greeted her with food. However, one night when Sunshine arrived, things were different. Instead of food in my hand, I was holding a baby possum. Sunshine seemed more curious than surprised. Sunshine, would you like to meet Libby? He's the newest addition to our family. Sunshine slid silently up to me to take a closer look. Libby was busy nibbling on a piece of apple, but suddenly became aware that he was not alone. Libby, this is Sunshine, I said softly. Would you like to say hello? I knelt on the ground so Sunshine could get a better view. Then, in a very memorable gesture, they greeted each other tenderly by touching noses. Just as Sunshine showed herself friendly towards Libby, God reminds us that we must be friendly too. 
Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 says in the first part, A man or child that hath friends must show himself or herself friendly. Our two orphans now had the friendship of each other as well as a home with their substitute parents. story time and this is Uncle Gordon to bring you another story from the South Pacific Islands. We were living on Rarotonga. We continued our efforts to raise the interests of the church and to seek out people who were looking for truth. One of the things we did was to get branch Sabbath schools going. We had four churches or four, four groups around the island, two main churches and two which were companies. They had no church yet built. And so uh, we had them uh, run branch Sabbath schools. The idea is that if you're teaching what you know, you'll know it better and you'll be encouraged to learn more. And this was a very great success for the Cook Island people as they themselves got out and began to share what they had to know. One of the branch Sabbath schools we ran was in the main centre of Avarua, which was where the shops were. And we had a little thatch house owned by the elder of the church. And uh, he made that the church for the Avarua area. And they decided that they would be very active and they ran several branch Sabbath schools throughout the township of Avarua. And when we were attending these, we had children of all ages attend these meetings and some of their parents would come with them. There was one little girl that attended not far from where our church was, and her name was Naomi. Now, Naomi was a very uh, outgoing girl. She just loved the stories that were being told, and she'd go home and tell them to her parents. And then uh, she got to like it so much that she decided, well, I've got to be able to go along to the mother church. So she asked her, can I come to the mother church? And every time she would come to the Sabbath school, branch Sabbath school, she would say, can I come to the mother church? When do you hold your meetings? And so we told her, yes, at 9.30 on a Sabbath morning, we have a Sabbath school, then we have a divine service, and then in the afternoon we have a young people, people's program. And she said, well, can I come? I said, yes. She said, I'm not a member of the church. She said, we don't have any church in our family. We don't go to any church. But I just love the stories that you're telling here. And so the next Sabbath when I was there, I saw Naomi, and she was so delighted. She enjoyed the Sabbath school. She enjoyed the singing that was going with the children there. She enjoyed the lessons that were taught. And she also was happy to uh, uh, join in the youth program in the afternoon. She stayed for lunch where we had it at the church. Then she would go home and she'd share it with her mum and dad. One Sabbath sometime later, she was all dressed up, ready to come to church, and her father, who was uh, a, a drunkard, actually, he used to make his own bush beer. Now, bush beer is a terrible thing, and he was one of those. He was what we used to call a uh, bush beer drinker. Anyway, he was standing out in front of the house when she came out dressed in her nicest clothes, and he said, come here, you, and... Uh, 
He pushed $2 into her hand. She said, what's that for? He said, I want you to go down to the shop and buy me some tobacco. And uh, she said, no, Daddy, this is the Sabbath. I can't buy on the Sabbath. I'm going to church. And he swore at her and cursed her and threatened her. And so she walked off. But she never went near the shops. She went to church. And, of course, you know, in Sabbath school, we always have mission stories and how the church is reaching out to people in all different lands. And she heard a story there about the people in Africa and what their needs were. And so she was listening so carefully that when the offering plate came around, she said, I'm going to give this $2 to the church so that they can send it to the people in Africa. Well, she never thought about the tobacco for her father, but she stayed on and... uh, She stayed for the church service. She had lunch with our church members. And then she went off to the young people's in the afternoon. And it was late afternoon when she was getting home. And as she was walking up towards her home, she could hear the yelling and the screaming of her father. Where's that girl gone? I'll kill her when she gets back here. And uh, she suddenly remembered, oh, I gave the money away. He's waiting for his tobacco. And so uh, she said, oh, well, I gave it to the Lord. The Lord will look after things. And as she walked up to him, he grabbed her and said, where's my tobacco? Oh, Daddy, I didn't buy any tobacco today. This is the Sabbath. And then he said, I'll kill you for doing that. And he started to thrash her. He picked up a piece of coconut frond and he started to beat her with a coconut. Well, Mum heard this inside and she came out and she started to try and stop him. And then the brother came out and they all ended up in a big fight in the village just away from the church. And finally, it was over. She went inside all bruised and hurting, but she was glad that she'd been to Sabbath school and been able to give $2 to the church, the biggest sum of money that she'd ever seen. Anyway, she didn't stop coming. She went on and on. Finally, she decided she would go to college, and she wanted to go to college when she finished her schooling there, but she had no means of that, and her daddy would not even think about it. And so... She decided that she would just stay with the church and she would run the Sabbath school. So she became the leader of the Sabbath school at the Avaru Church. By this time, our church numbers had grown so much, we decided to build a new church. And we were building this new church and uh, it was to be a brick house, brick place, but we had no land and we had to try and find some land. It was very difficult in Avaru because all pieces of land are owned by many members of a family and it's difficult to get them all together. And uh, we prayed about it and Naomi prayed with us. And finally, one of the families came together. They brought some of their their relatives from New Zealand to have a discussion with us because there were several people after this land. The big shop downtown wanted to buy it too because it came up the back of their place and they wanted to expand out there. Well, we'd prayed about it, and Naomi was keen to know what was going to happen too. And finally, after a long deliberation, the people agreed to let us have the land. And so we decided that we'd start building. We dug the trenches, and Naomi came down, pick and shovel, but no one else of the family, just Naomi. And she would help with the ladies in preparing the food that would be given to the workers each uh, midday. And uh, she was keen to see this church go up, and she thought she'd have part in the foundation of this church. Well, she uh, was still anxious to go to college, in Fulton College in Fiji, and become trained so that she could serve the Lord in a better way. But all the time, she continued that witness as a teacher in the Branch Sabbath School. 
and God rewarded her greatly for it. And I'll tell you some more about her at another time. Sophia Lee here. I'm so glad you've come back to join me in listening to another segment of the book, Alan, the Girl with Two Angels, written by Mabel R. Miller. Chapter 4. Jesus is Coming One day, when the twins were 12 years old, a preacher came to their town. Preacher Miller had learned something exciting from his Bible, and he wanted to share it with everyone everywhere. He travelled around to preach wherever people would listen. King Jesus is coming, he said during his meetings. He's coming in the clouds of heaven. He's coming soon. Get ready to meet your Saviour. He held meetings every morning, every afternoon and every evening for three weeks. He preached from the Bible and showed people the verses that impressed him that Jesus would come in 1844. The Harmon family was excited about the meetings. I don't want to miss a single one, Ellen said. Each day for three weeks, the family brought their lunch basket and stayed from morning until late at night. Ellen loved the preaching, but one thing made her sad. She thought she'd been so bad God couldn't save her. Dear Jesus, she cried quietly, you are coming so soon. I never can be good enough to go to heaven with you. I do wrong things all the time. Finally, she felt so sad, she talked to her pastor. He patted her shoulder. Don't worry, Ellen, he said kindly. All you have to do is believe what God promised. He opened his Bible to 1 John 1, nine and asked her to read a promise God made for everyone. Ellen read aloud, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trust your loving Heavenly Father, Ellen, the kind man said. He loves you. He's on your side. He wants you to be saved. The Holy Spirit helped Ellen to believe that Jesus had forgiven all her sins too and that he would save her. Great happiness filled Ellen, a greater happiness than she'd ever known. She wanted to give her whole life to her wonderful Saviour and be baptised. On a special day, she was baptised in the rough waters of the ocean near her home. The waves were high and dashed on the sandy beach, Ellen said later, but I felt as peaceful as a quiet river. Oh, what happiness! My sins were all washed away in that water. I had never felt so happy. As she walked back up the beach after her baptism, her mother wrapped her in a blanket and a hug. Jesus, Ellen whispered, I belong to you. I will love you always. Preacher William Miller continued to preach in Portland, Maine. Many people came to listen. King Jesus is coming, he kept telling them. Hurry, get ready for the great event. Everywhere people listened. Some laughed and made fun. The people who laughed and made fun of Preacher Miller called all the people who believed Adventists. That meant that those people believed that Jesus' second return or Advent was soon. The people who believed Preacher Miller truly were Adventists. There were hundreds of thousands of Advent believers. Pastors of many different churches invited Adventists to come and share their exciting new beliefs with the congregations. There were Lutheran Adventists, Baptist Adventists, Methodist Adventists, but no Seventh-day Adventists. Not yet. 
Ellen and her family were Methodist Adventists because they belonged to the Methodist Church. They expected Jesus to come in the sky to take them back to heaven to the beautiful homes he'd prepared for them. They believed that he was coming the very next year. Satan kept tempting Ellen to think she was too wicked for Jesus to love or save. Every night after Elizabeth fell asleep, Ellen knelt beside her bed. Oh Jesus, you are so perfect and holy. How can you ever save me? I do bad things every single day. How can you save me, Lord Jesus? I want to go with you so badly. Jesus heard. He wanted Ellen to know that she was one of his precious children and how much he loved her. One night he gave her a dream. Ellen dreamed that she saw the door of her room open. In walked a beautiful shining angel. He came to her and asked, Do you wish to see Jesus? He is here. Oh yes, Ellen said, jumping out of her bed. I'd rather see Jesus than anything in the whole world. Then follow me, the angel said. He led Ellen up some steps, some steps she'd never seen before. Finally, they reached a door. The angel opened the door and motioned inside. Go in, little Ellen. He is here. Ellen stepped right inside and found herself standing beside the most glorious being she'd ever seen. Instantly, after looking into his kind eyes, she knew she stood before Jesus, King Jesus, the ruler of the universe. She felt so reverent, she bowed down before her saviour. Jesus laid a hand tenderly on her head. Don't be afraid, he said softly. The sound of his sweet voice thrilled and filled her with happiness and peace. The angel appeared again and took her by the hand. Come, he said, it's time to go back. He led her back down the stairs and to her bed. Then he went back out through the door. It looks a bit like it, Mrs Tammy, but no, they aren't snowballs. You've just walked right into the middle of a group of arctic hares. See over there, there's one sitting just above his nest. The rest of them have scattered in lots of different directions. Why do they scatter, Ranger Dan? Well, you see, Mrs Tammy, the arctic hares work together. Sitting out here in the tundra, they're pretty exposed to all of the dangers that might be lurking around. So God has told them to work together. When one of the arctic hares detects some danger, he tells all his friends, and they all scatter. And because they're all going in different directions, it's pretty hard to work out where any of them are going. But because they can't really follow any one bunny, the animal that has given them a fright can't chase them back to their nest and would even have trouble catching them. That's exactly right, Mrs Tammy. Working together is always the way to go. With people too. The Arctic hares sit and stare on the snow in any weather. God has told them they are safe if they just stick together. And they are snowballs, balls of snow, running on the ice, hopping here and bouncing there. They are bouncing. Out of sight When danger comes 
snow across the ice to their nest they safely go. And they are snowballs, balls of snow, running on the ice. Hopping here and bouncing there. They are bouncing out of sight. This is so much fun, Ranger Dan. It was so exciting seeing all of those little bunnies bouncing in the snow. Oh, yes, Mrs. Tammy. Spending time out in nature is one of the best things that we can do. It brings us closer to God, and learning about His creation helps us to learn more about Him and how much He loves us. Oh, look, Mrs. Tammy. There behind that snowy cave. Can you see it? It's a caribou. A caribou? I can see a deer. A caribou is a deer, Mrs Tammy. A reindeer, actually. But out here in the wild, we call them caribou. You can go and give him a pat if you'd like. Don't be afraid. He's big, but reindeer are really friendly creatures. Oh, I don't know if I'm brave enough, Ranger Dan. Come on, you can do it, Mrs Tammy. I believe in you. Make sure you touch his antlers. They feel like soft velvet. Hey there, big fella. I'm Mrs Tammy. I'm just coming over to say hello. Wow. His antlers are soft, Ranger Dan. They, they look like a tree is growing out of his head. They sure do. And do you know that on a daddy deer, the antlers can grow to be four foot wide? which is almost as tall as you are, Mrs Tammy. Wow. This caribou isn't white, Ranger Dan. How come he is out here on the tundra? Well, the caribou only come to the tundra in the summer months, when the tundra is not so cold and icy. They come here every year to have a big feed and to have their babies. Because the tundra is so flat, it makes it easy for the caribou to stay safe. It's sort of like a land of promise. A promise of new babies and lots of food. So the tundra is the promised land. Yeah, that's right, Mrs Tammy. The caribou keep their eyes on the sun and when summertime comes, they run for the tundra. Hey, Ranger Dan, I've thought of something. We're heading to a promised land too. Heaven. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, God's son... We'll be ready to go with him to the promised land when he comes again. Oh, you're exactly right, Mrs Tammy. Just like the deer on the run, we're following the sun all the way to the promised land. Deer on the run, following the sun to the promised land. Tundra every single year. It's in this place that they are safe. It's the promised land and it's worth the wait. They keep their eyes on the sun and when summertime comes, they run, run, run. Deer on the run, following the sun to the promised land. Run, 
Boys and girls, I'm Auntie Nat. I'm so glad you've returned to come and read the Bible with me. Auntie Nat is reading out of the New King James Version. Are you ready? Are you comfortable? You settled? We're going to continue reading out of Luke chapter 2 and we're starting in verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So boys and girls, eight days after a Jewish baby boy was born, they were circumcised and officially given their name. Now we read about this when baby John was born. And now that it's happening with Jesus, it's interesting that the angel gave the name. And when baby John was born, the angel told Zacharias that his baby was going to be called John. So it's interesting that actually the angel named the babies, not the parents themselves. Let's continue in verse 22. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now when Jesus, boys and girls, was forty days old, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple in Jerusalem, which was five miles or about eight kilometres away from Bethlehem. When Jewish parents had their firstborn, they had to pay an animal sacrifice in the temple. This goes back to when God delivered the Israelites, firstborns, in Egypt. So Joseph and Mary being so poor, their ransom for their firstborn was two turtle doves. If they were wealthy, they would have taken a lamb. Because of Joseph and Mary's lowly status, they went unnoticed in the temple But someone noticed them. Let's read about it in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marvelled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." So boys and girls, spiritual things are spiritually discerned and Simeon was a godly man. The priests had not recognised anything different about baby Jesus and his humble parents, but Simeon had. Simeon also prophesied what Mary would suffer in the future with what Jesus would go through in his death. Let's continue in verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And the coming in that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So boys and girls, Anna was an 84-year-old woman who also recognised Jesus as the Son of God. She was a widow, and verse 36 tells us that she was only married seven years when her husband died. She was a very faithful, devout woman who devoted her life to prayer. So after the dedication, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus returned to Bethlehem. Boys and girls, both Simeon and Anna were watching and waiting and praying for the coming of Jesus. God answered their prayers, and they were privileged to see Jesus before they died. Are we watching and praying and waiting for Jesus to come back the second time? The priests missed it. We don't want to miss it. Pray and ask Jesus to guide and direct your life. Read your Bibles, and Jesus will guide and direct you and will prepare your hearts for Jesus' second coming. Hello boys and girls, it's Dr John again with another story by Eric B. Hare from his book Jungle Stories. Now, this one has a strange name. It is Burmese, and I'm going to say it, then I want you to say it with me. Kala Kala, Hey K Kala. Are you ready? Kala Kala, Hey K Kala. Let's find out what it's all about. Of course, you'll never be afraid of losing your Kala, would you? But that's because you don't know what your Kala is. Now, I'll tell you. Do you know 
When the sun is shining and you walk along the path, there is something that goes just as you go. If you run, it runs. If you jump, it jumps. If you lift your hand, it lifts its hand. What do you call it? Yes, I know, but the Karens don't call it a shadow. They call it your kalah. They think it is great to have their kalah going with them everywhere they go, but they live in mortal fear and dread that the evil spirits and devils will catch their kalahs or shadow. Behind every tree, around every corner, in the shade of every bunch of bamboos, the spirits are waiting to catch your kalah. They say, and if you get your kalah, then you wake up sometime morning feeling miserable and cross, and if you aren't quick to get your kalah back, you'll get worse and worse until you die. Of course, we don't believe in these silly stories. Sometimes we say we got out of bed on the wrong side. Sometimes Mother says we are cross and out of sorts because we ate too late at dinner the night before. But when a Karen wakes up in the morning feeling blue, he at once decides it is because the evil spirits have caught his kalah. Then he'll begin to wonder when he saw his kalah last. More than likely, he can't remember having seen it for two or three days. And then he will decide it must have been the other day while he was cutting bamboos in the jungle. The jungle is a very bad place to lose kalas, they say. You can guess why, can't you? But then, Uncle must be quick about trying to find his kalar again. So he makes a tiny basket and puts an egg or a chicken in it, and then he takes it to the place where he was cutting bamboos in the jungle and hangs it on a little twig. Walking backwards all the way home, he must call out, Kalar! Kalar! Hey, K, Kalar! 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 Hey, K, Kalar! And if he comes to a little stream or any water, he must cut down three bamboos and put it across so that the kalah won't get his feet wet. And when he gets home, he must cut a little branch and put it by the steps up to the house so that the kalah will know which house he belongs to. It is surprising how well Uncle feels when he has gone through all this exercise, so he decides that the spirits have accepted his offering and have let his kalah go. Well, it sounds funny to us, doesn't it? But the next time you wake up feeling cross or off-color or blue, try going for a walk to the park or into the woods and then walk backwards all the way home and you'll be surprised how well you feel when you get back. I couldn't begin to tell you all the different ways the jungle folk hunt for their kalas. Some go to the astrologers to find which way their kalas have gone. Others gaze at chicken bones to find out. Some go around with a big net scooping up the air in front of them in an effort to get their kalas back. I have an answer that I always give them. Live in the sunshine. This is a good way for all the boys and girls live in the sunshine. True sunshine means obedience to mother and father and our teachers and cheerfully helping others. And even a rainy day can't take your kalar away if you live there all the time. 
The Karens also practice a kind of witchery in connection with their devil worship. One skilled in the art is greatly feared and respected, and many strange and wonderful stories have come to us of this power. In olden days, it was common to get rid of an enemy by going through certain words over one of his footprints found somewhere in the path, whereupon the owner of the footprint would die in some mysterious and strange way. One old headman of a village quite near to us came to the dispensary one day and asked for medicine. He was suffering badly from swollen legs, no doubt resulting from his fast and drunken life. We tried to show him that he must reform in his habits of life or no medicine would do him any good. No, no, he said. I've been to Rangoon and to Molmin. They all say that but it isn't so. I'm bewitched. I'm bewitched. And one of his companions added as he went away, he was such a cruel man when he was younger that someone bewitched him and said that two pieces of meat and a lump of rice would grow in his stomach till he died. At last he did die, and curiosity led the people to cut him open, whereupon they found it to be exactly that way. So they say... Many a time I've had a patient anxiously watch my face while I have been examining his stomach to see if I ran across any lumps. A certain man was bewitched to be killed by a tiger, and strange to say, he was sleeping between two friends in a house, built as usual high up off the ground. Listen, when a tiger crawled quietly up the steps, which is a mere bamboo ladder, carefully selected his victim and making sure he was the right one, seized him by the head, dragged him several hundred yards and killed him. So they say. Of course, they have many kinds of charms to protect them from this witchery and their faith in charms is as great as the witchery itself. You can easily pick out the charms knotted pieces of twisted cotton, red or black or white with silver coins or copper coins, threaded on them sometimes just lumps of silver or gold or lead or copper or iron on strings around the neck, around the arms, around the wrist, around the waist, around the legs, around the ankles, around just about everywhere. The Burmese tattoo charms on their bodies these look just like a small hopscotch pattern with figures in the little squares. Some are to prevent evil spirits from worrying them, some to prevent snakes from biting them, and one kind makes them immune to sword cuts. I remember once hearing of a man who had a sword-cut charm tattered on him who tried to convince an unbeliever of the virtue of the brand. Having little success, he seized a long sword-like dar and said, See here, take this dar or sword, and here's my arm. He held it out. Try your hardest to cut it off. Having said this, he placed the sword or the dar in the unbeliever's hand, and in a minute that man's arm was lying on the floor. Frightened for his life, the doer of the deed fled, leaving the unfortunate believer of charms bleeding beside his arm on the floor, where no one being near at the time to tie up his arm 
he soon bled to death. Still they persist in their beliefs. That certain unfortunate man must have smelled someone frying iron or eaten something sour while the tattooing was going on, or otherwise the sword could not have cut his skin. So they say. Special thanks go to Pacific Press for giving 3ABN Australia Radio permission to read on air a selection from Jungle Stories, written by Eric B. Hare, and Ellen, the Girl with Two Angels, written by Mabel R. Miller. Also, thanks goes to Stanborough Press for giving 3ABN Australia Radio permission to read a selection of stories from the set of books called Uncle Arthur's Best Bedtime Stories. And thanks to Remnant Publications for permission to read the Remnant Young Scholar Study Bible on air. We would also like to thank Daniel and Tammy Cinzio for allowing us to play their CD, Frozen Chosen, on air. For any other information about the Children's Story Hour, you can contact us at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.
His eyes on the sparrow And I know He watches me I sing because I'm happy I sing because I'm free For His eyes on the sparrow And I know He watches me Whenever I Whenever clouds arise When songs give place to sighing When hope begins to die I draw the closer to him From care he sets me His eyes on the sparrow And I know he watches me His eyes on the sparrow And I know he watches me I sing because I'm happy His eye is on the sparrow And I know he watches me
The first song we heard was Standing on the Promises by Auntie Cecily, and after that, Gavin Chatelier and the children sang His Eye is on the Sparrow. Well, boys and girls, we have come to the end of the Children's Story Hour. On behalf of Auntie Sue, I would like to say goodbye, God bless you, and we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Children's Story Hour. <laughs>